to that uh, passage in Job chapter 12. We'll come to it shortly, but uh, as I alluded in my prayer, um, what a tumultuous couple of weeks that we've had in our country. Whether you're a Brexiteer or a Remainer, I guess like me, you've been profoundly disturbed by events at Westminster. Everybody's asking, um, what do you think is going to happen now? I hope um, that, uh, like me, you're answering, uh, who knows? Because I don't. I, I often say to my children, why are you asking me? <laughs> and verse 12 of chapter 12 is generally true, though not always. Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. But actually, the longer I live, the more I know this. Verse 13 says, with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. And I am convinced then that the Lord knows uh, what he's doing. And Job believed that as well. Job is a real man in history who lived almost uh, 4,000 years ago in the land of Uz. Not the land of Oz. <laughs> uh, Uz was a real place in present day um, Perhaps Jordan, maybe Saudi Arabia, or even Oman. In Oman, the Muslims there believe that Job is buried in a tomb uh, there. Job was fabulously wealthy, um, a highly respected man, blessed with a wife, seven sons, and three daughters. Chapter 1, verse 3, <clears throat> tells us that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. What a, what a commendation. But as you know, Job suffered a series of calamities which left all his property either plundered or burned. And then all ten of his children, presumably quite grown up, were having a party together when there was a kind of tornado that battered the house that subsequently collapsed, killing all ten of his children. In chapter 1, when Job heard the news, it says he got up tore his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If all that wasn't enough, he then contracted some, <clears throat> some kind of skin disease that left him with painful sores all over his body. And what perhaps made it worse was that this his wife put the knife in, and mocked his faith in God. To which Job replied this, You speak as one of the foolish women. Imagine saying that to your wife. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Both of those reactions affirm what Job says in the text I want to look at today. And it's in Job 12, verse 9 and 10. Let me read it to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. The hand of the Lord has done this. 
Now, there are at least three reactions that we can have to that statement. And I want to explore them this morning, and I hope that that will unpack the text as, as well. Here's the three reactions. We can be ignorant about it. We can ignore it. Or thirdly, we can have an interest in it. Okay, I'm going to spend most of the time on the first one. Firstly, we can be ignorant about the Lord's hand in everything. Now, some who are regarded as the cleverest people in the world believe that we live in a purely physical universe. In other words, everything that happens has a purely naturalistic explanation with cause and effect. God doesn't come into it, they say. So the, the rotation of the earth on its axis causes winds and the gravitational pull of the moon on the earth causes tides, etc., etc. In fact, they probably mock me that I am even considering the writings of a man who lived thousands of years before human beings became um, conversant with science. Actually, it's interesting, Job was a man way ahead of his time, scientifically speaking. Because he says, for example, in chapter 26, verse 7, God stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He didn't believe, as later Greek philosophers did, that the god Atlas carries the world on his shoulders. No, Job believed that God was separate from the universe that he made and over it. And the New Testament fleshes that out for us, doesn't it? Colossians 1 verse 15, don't turn to it. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, through Jesus, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that's what Job believed in our text. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. King David said to God, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, do you know this? Or are you ignorant of it? That without God's permission... You could not even take your next breath. He knows all about you. And wonderfully, he loves you. You're in his hands. No matter what you're going through in your life right now. And Job is an example of this. Job's words in our text are, of course, a response to one of his friends called Zophar. He was one of the three so-called comforters uh, visiting Job to sympathize and share their wise insights. And so the cultural thing to do, as you probably know, is to uh, gather at the person's house and to sit outside the house 
uh, and say nothing, sympathize. And that's what they did for seven days and seven nights. So great was Job's suffering, and all that time they bit their tongue. They didn't say anything. But then it all came tumbling out. That's chapter 11, if you want to read it, it later. All their wisdom came tumbling out. One by one, they offer reasons why they suspected that all this tragedy has happened to Job. In effect, Job, you must have done something bad. God must be punishing you. Well, in chapter 12, Job answers that. Yes, with a touch of sarcasm, understandable in this situation. He says, no doubt you, you wise ones, are the people. And wisdom will die with you. But then in chapter 12, he shows how it is actually they who are betraying their ignorance of how God works in the world. And he shows it in two ways. First of all, he points out that good people do suffer. And if I can paraphrase verse 4, Job is saying... If God heard my prayers, then obviously I don't deserve to suffer like the unrighteous, blameworthy man you think I am. And yet, how do you friends treat me? He says, I've become a laughingstock. So decent, law-abiding people like me can sometimes be kicked when they're down, even by friends. Good people do suffer. And the second thing he points out is that wicked people don't always get what they deserve. Again, if I can paraphrase verse 5 and 6, criminals seem to have it easy. They live secure in their houses, bought with their ill-gotten gain, their God. They don't care if they provoke the one true God and so they don't care what happens to those at the bottom of the pile. And sometimes we are a bit ignorant about the ways of God. We usually consider that we're not quite as bad as some people are. And therefore we don't deserve to suffer. I don't know whether any of you... I've ever seen uh, the film, an old film now, The Sound of Music. Uh, it's one of the first films I ever saw, I think, at the cinema, anyway. Um, my dad took me to it, and I, I went back on my own again. I was so moved by it. Anyway, in The Sound of Music, when Julie Andrews, um, a.k.a. Maria, she was the nun, remember, who was the governess of the children, when she realizes that the ever-so-strict Captain Von Trapp is actually a kind man and loves his motherless children as well as being handsome. <laughs> she falls into his arms and then she sings. She sings this. Perhaps I had a wicked childhood. Perhaps I had a miserable youth. But somewhere in my wicked, miserable past, there must have been a moment of truth. For here you are, standing here, loving me, whether or not you should. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Isn't that how we think? 
But Paul says in Romans 3, there is none righteous. No, not one. No one who understands. No one who truly seeks for God. David says in Psalm 103 that God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. My friends, there is no direct equivalence between our sin and our suffering. Jesus made that clear, didn't he, when he commented on on one of the news stories of his day, it's in Luke 13, those 18 people on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all of the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And what Jesus did not deny, that it was the hand of God. The only reason that God doesn't end this world is because he's being patient with us. He wants us to repent of our sin. Of course, that's the reason for suffering in general in the world. You know, when our first parents sinned and rejected the knowledge of God, the whole world became polluted in God's eyes. God brought a curse on this world. Creation was subjected to frustration. Creation is in bondage to decay. It's groaning. And we see this, don't we, in in the natural disasters that happen in the world. The wars between people. Nature, red in tooth and claw. The other day I was in my back garden. Well, at least I was watching from the window. And I watched as a hawk swoop down on a gentle dove. And the hawk literally tore it apart. In a few seconds, I'm horrified. You may have watched nature programs from Africa where lions don't lie down with lambs. It is brutal. Now, the hawk did it to the dove. The lions instinctively hunt their prey. But it is all under the sovereign hand of God. This is how he chooses to manage the earth until one day it will be liberated from its bondage and the lion will lie down with the lamb. So look at verse 7 and 8. This is why Job says this in verse 7 and 8. He says, ask the beasts and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens, they'll tell you. Or the bushes of the earth and they'll teach you and the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. And your life is in the Lord's hands. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Do you know that? That God knows you so intimately. Do you know anything of the comfort of Jesus' words when he says next, fear not, therefore you are of far more value than many sparrows? And then what about the terrible situation in in the Bahamas we've seen on our televisions? Hurricane Dorian has destroyed nearly every building in most of the 700 islands that make up that wealthy country. The death toll 
uh, still could be huge. And the suffering is unimaginable, isn't it? They need our sympathy, they need our prayers, and they need our generosity. It's very interesting, if you read the story of Job, in Job 19, verse 21, he says to his friends, Have mercy on me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. But it is too simplistic just to offer naturalistic explanations of what's going on in the Bahamas. People say it's global warming. It's the hand of the Lord. Verse 15 is clear in chapter 12. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. Do you know, the one who commanded the stormy winds and waves of Lake Galilee to be still could easily have changed the course of that hurricane. But for some reason, unknown to us, he chooses not to. But Job also knows that the life of every creature, the breath of all mankind is in his hand. Your life too. None of us knows what tomorrow might bring. So we need to get our lives right with God now. One day, we'll all have to stand and give an account before God. So therefore, there's no excuse for our ignorance. So, firstly, we can ignore the truth that, or be ignorant of the truth that we're in God's hands. Secondly, we can go a little bit further than that if we're not careful. Uh, Secondly, we can ignore the truth that we're in God's hands. Just because we don't understand what God is doing doesn't mean we should answer God back or resist his will. We mustn't ignore the truth. This is what Job says in verse 11. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? In other words, what I'm saying really ought to be common sense as the, as the sense of taste is. When I was a young man, I was studying A-levels, and I, I chose sciences. And, and I just knew, when I was 16, in my heart, my mind, there must be a God. I knew it. just looked at the stars, the intricacy of our bodies, and, and insects, and what have you. I just knew there was a God. And, and by the help of the Holy Spirit of God, I began to search for God. And he found me. Without the Spirit of God, our ignorance of these things becomes so willful that we can ignore God, can reject him. So Paul says in Romans 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. I think verse 16 to 25 in Job 12 is one of the most applicable descriptions of our country today in its ignorance of God. 
They're ignoring God. I hesitate to say that Job 12 is prophetic of what's happening today, but it does describe the way that God deals with rulers and nations. Just cast your eyes over it. Verse, 20, verse 17. He leads counselors away stripped, and judges he makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. And one thinks of rulers like Saddam Hussein and Colonel Gaddafi, and now Robert Mugabe from Zimbabwe, who seems indestructible, seemed indestructible, and they're brought down. This is the hand of the Lord, says Job. Or verse 19, he leads priests away, stripped, and overthrows the mighty. I think religious leaders in our land are amongst the most ridiculed, mistrusted people in the, in the land because of the various scandals. I think it's no wonder why many people think that religion is irrelevant. But again, it's the hand of the Lord exposing hypocrisy in our land. Verse 20. Doesn't this uncannily describe Brexit? Verse 20. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. Verse 24. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. And everybody is saying the same thing. What a mess we're in. We're confused. We're, we're paralyzed. How has it come to this? And Job tells us the hand of the Lord has done this. And I don't know why. I have an idea. Why? I think it's because as a nation we have ignored God. We've rejected his laws. We've passed laws on marriage and on an abortion which are an abomination to God because they completely fly in the face of God's moral law. And God says, if you as a nation want to ignore me, how I've blessed you in the past, how I've delivered you in the past, and you conduct your lives as if I don't exist, then I'll remove my light, and you'll be groping around in the dark. I wonder whether what is happening in our land is, is a warning to us to come back to God. Come back to God. Our churches need to be saying this commenting on what's happening in our land. And I do hope that it is a way of God humbling us and bringing us back to him, of once again showing mercy instead of wrath. Look at verse 23. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. Surely this is a warning that the United Kingdom of England and Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland is not set in stone. It's interesting to me that um, in about 1708, Matthew Henry comments on another national crisis. It was only actually solved by Holland invading us and displacing King James II. So this is Matthew Henry writing. Witness the glorious revolution in our own land 20 years ago. 
in which we saw as happy an exposition as ever given of Job chapter 12. And then he quotes Ecclesiastes 4.13. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. And he goes on. Thus are the revolutions of kingdoms wonderfully brought about by an overruling providence. Heaven and earth are shaken, but the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. With him, we look for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, my friends, if that is true of nations, it is also true of individuals. My life, your life, is in God's hands. It's in the hands of King Jesus, who's saviour and judge and Lord. And I'm happy about that. Because I know he loves me and he loves you. I know he does because he died for us. This is how one hymn puts it. His hands were pierced. The hands that made the mountain range and everglade, that washed the stains of sin away and changed earth darkness into day. So can I, can I encourage you, if you haven't done so already, isn't, isn't it time to stop ignoring God? To surrender your life to him. He offers us pardon. He offers us purpose in life. Will you not trust him to take your life in his hands? And so this is what I, I mean with my third point. Not just be ignorant. Not, not ignore him. But you can take a vital interest in all that God is doing in the world. Now, there is something very, very important I haven't mentioned so far about uh, Job, and that is why all this is happening to Job. And remember, this is something that Job himself didn't know until the end of the story. The end of Job is, of course, lovely. It's, it's when he's restored to health. The Lord gives him seven more sons and three daughters and twice as much uh, wealth as he had before doesn't always do that, by the way. But we now know why that happened to him. Because we have the whole story written down for us. Because as you know, Satan, who hates God, right at the beginning, comes to God and tries to mock the idea that a man can have faith in God, no matter what. It's as if Satan says to God, Job only serves you and obeys you because he's got everything going for him. He's got a, a lovely family. He's got fabulous wealth. But I bet you, if you take it all away from him, he'll curse you. And so confident is God in his own almighty power and purposes, he throws down the gauntlet to Satan. Chapter 2, verse 6 it is. Very well then, Job is in your hands but you must spare his life. Now, can you grasp that? It's amazing. Satan, Job is in your hands, but actually, he's in mine. Now, we could say that this was all Satan's doing that happened to Job. We'd be partly right. An enemy has done this. 
But all that Satan does to Job is by the permission of God. So actually it is God doing it. Now can you see, my friends, what is happening to Job is a little preview of God's great plan for the saving the lives of a multitude of people from every tribe and nation. Because right at the beginning of man's story, after Satan had rebelled against God and deceived Adam and Eve, God says this to Satan, who appeared in the form of a serpent. Because you have done this, serpent, cursed are you, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that is exactly what happened on the cross when Jesus died. It was Satan biting Jesus' heel, but actually... It was Jesus treading on Satan. And Peter takes this up in his sermon, Acts 2. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But death could not keep its prey. He tore the bars away. My friend, every battle you have with Satan is a battle that Jesus has already fought and already won on the cross. And it's a test of your faith, whether you'll trust God's promises no matter what is happening to you. You might not understand why until you get to heaven, but you'll trust him. I, I love what the Puritan pastor John Flavel wrote. He says, Some providences are like the Hebrew alphabet. They're best read backwards. And that's how we should look at our trials. When you take a vital believing interest in this truth, that the Lord is in control of everything in your life, and that everything he does is good, then you know that there's no safer place to be than in God's hands. Paul says that believers are God's handiwork. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Do you, do you have this saving interest in God's purposes? Charles Spurgeon, writing on this passage, said this. Oh, if you can but look at your troubles are sent from God, it would take the sharpness from them and turn them from wasps that sting into bees that gather honey. Isn't that lovely? This is what God is doing throughout the world. You'd expect me, I, I hope, to say a little bit about missions. Mission is here in the book of Job. It's all about God's holy offspring being protected. It's about the hand of the Lord doing what is needed to secure the life of his people. I don't know whether you've ever read anything of John Chapman. He was an Australian evangelist. He said this once. Don't be discouraged 
I have had a sneak peek at the last page of our book, and we win in the end. And this is not merely interesting. It is having a vital interest in God's eternal purposes. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love. Love for the whole world. And so now the Lord is calling men and women who believe this, who are prepared to go and give up what they can't keep to gain what they can't lose. And that is eternal life. And this is for the sake of those who are at the moment ignorant of God, or they may be ignoring God, but can have a saving interest in God and his kingdom. Let me close with telling you about one of the most amazing missionaries whose life I've ever read about, John, John Payton or John Patton. He was a missionary to cannibals, basically, in the New Hebrides. And uh, just to show how God used him, today in the New Hebrides, uh, the majority of the island is Christian. Not long after arriving in New Hebrides, he had to dig the grave of his young wife and his newborn son. And he wrote this in his journal in 1859. I do not pretend to see through the mystery of such visitations, wherein God calls away the young and the promising and those sorely needed for his service here. But this I do know and feel, that in the light of such providences, it becomes us all to love and serve our blessed Lord Jesus so that we may be ready at his call for death and for eternity. So Jesus says to us today, give me your life, give me your life, in my hands I can use you for my glory to save many lives. The hand of the Lord can do it. Let's pray. Lord, we can all look back on our lives and see various things that have happened to us. and We're sorry that sometimes they've made us feel bitter. Often, Lord, it's because we just don't understand. We're weak and we're ignorant. Lord, have mercy upon us. Help us to trust in your wise and loving purposes for us. We know that there is a battle going on in the heavenly places. And we know that you will win in the end. Help us to trust you, to keep us in the hollow of your hand for all eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen.